Good evening, friends. So, good evening, friends. Hey, great to see you. There you are. You might be three rows back, but you're awake. Uh, friends, how about um, uh, tonight? We are continuing our series in the book of Acts. In our reading, people from all around the world hear the disciples declaring the magnificent works of God in their own language. Verse 12. It says that they were astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And tonight we need to ask the same question. And so we'll be looking at that tonight. What does this actually mean? So let me lead us in prayer. Um, by uh, this, uh, this is a prayer by John Calvin, who was once called the theologian of the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in whom is the fullness of light and wisdom, Enlighten our hearts by your spirit, we pray, and give us the grace to receive your word with reverence and humility, without which no one can understand your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, I used to meet up with an international student called James. This is not him and this is not me. <laughs> he was interested in Christianity. So once a fortnight, we would meet up, grab some lunch, We'd read the Bible together and we'd chat about Jesus. After a few months, it didn't seem like we were getting anywhere. So one day I built up the courage and I asked him face to face. I said, James, what's stopping you from following Jesus? He then gave me this long list of things. He said, talked about the expectations of his family, his study load, his aspirations for his life, uh, where he wanted to go. Um, we talked through all of these things and then I asked him to again. I said, James, what's stopping you from following Jesus? He gave me another long list of all these things in his life and then I looked at him again and I said, James, tell me the truth. What's stopping you from following Jesus. He said, I don't feel like I'm good enough for Jesus and I don't want to change. Friends, what do you do when people keep putting up barriers to trusting and following Jesus? You see, our culture teaches us that the barriers we face in life are all external. So the barriers that we face, it's all about your job or your family or your workload or your aspirations. But the Bible teaches us that it's completely the opposite. That the barriers are on the inside. That it's not our family, it's not our workload or our aspirations. It's our heart. So how can we convince other people, our friends, our work colleagues even the people in our family, that they should turn and trust Jesus? How can we at church at 6.30 take the gospel to Orange and beyond? Or, or if you're here tonight still investigating Jesus, someone who might not feel good enough for God or want to change their life to follow him, how will that barrier in your life become torn down? From Acts chapter 2, we see it's the powerful work of the Spirit. Tonight, I want us to see that 
as God pours out his spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us a new way to relate to God and equips us to serve him. He does this so the barriers to people trusting in Jesus can be overcome and people's lives can be transformed by Jesus. So three points tonight, the event, the explanation and the effect. So the challenge is when speaking about the Spirit, uh, there's a group of people here tonight who might go, fantastic, we are finally talking about the Spirit. And there might be some here who are thinking, oh, like do we have to spend so much time speaking about the Spirit? And I take it that we have those reactions about the Holy Spirit, largely because of our own experiences or maybe our family of origin or even maybe churches that we've grown up in. And the real big challenge about talking about the Spirit is it feels so subjective. You know, we know that God the Father provides for us. He eternally loves us and he sent Jesus into the world for our salvation. We know God the Son is Jesus, God in the flesh, who died, rose again and ascended back to heaven and now rules today. But the Spirit, that's a tricky one, you know. It feels like the spirit is so subjective and when I talk about it, I'm just talking about my own thoughts and my own feelings. See, as 21st century individualists, we give so much authority to personal experiences. And as peace-loving Christians, we feel like we can't say someone's experience of the spirit is wrong. But the Bible, the Bible gives us truth a foundational truth of who the Spirit is and what he does. And so it's important for us to speak in very clear ways as God's scripture intends us to speak about the Spirit. You see, the Bible identifies the Holy Spirit as God, a person of the triune God, and he is fully divine. In the Bible, he creates, he regenerates, he resurrects, and he, re- and he unites believers to Christ so that we may receive all that Jesus has accomplished on the cross. John Stott puts it this way, As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. <sighs> I love that. You see, if we focus only on the Spirit and our experiences, then we will throw out God's Word. But if we deny the existence of the Spirit, we will throw out our salvation. And so how should we think about the Spirit and how He works today? Well, let's look at our first point, the event at Pentecost. You see, last week we saw in Luke 24, the resurrection of Jesus was at the center of God's plan for this world. But Jesus' mission wasn't finished. The preaching of of the forgiveness of sins, that's the gospel message, needed to go to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. And so just before Jesus departs, he says this, Jesus commands them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit, verse 8. And then he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Tonight, we'll see that this promise was fulfilled and how it started, this radical new stage in God's salvation plan. We see, at the start of our reading, all the disciples, that's 120 of them, are together waiting for the Spirit. 
and I take it celebrating Pentecost. That's because Pentecost was a Jewish festival before it was a Christian celebration. Leviticus 23 tells us that Pentecost, or the Festival of Weeks, was this annual festival that celebrated God giving the law to his people at Mount Sinai. All Israelite men would have to travel to Jerusalem to give offerings to God in the temple. But all of that is about to change. You see, the festival that reminded people about Moses ascending up to heaven, uh, ascending to Mount Sinai, is now going to remind us about Jesus ascending up to heaven. The festival that remembered uh, God entrusting his law to his people is going to change and be about Jesus entrusting the gospel to his disciples. And as the Holy, as God descended on the mountain in his presence in Mount Sinai, God is going to descend his presence on his people as he pours out his spirit. Have a look at verse 2. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what are these signs all about? Well, did you notice verse 2? It actually isn't wind. They never saw wind. They heard something like wind, like a cyclone, like a 747 landing over your house. And the fire, well, it's not actually fire. They saw something like fire. And there's no mention of burning their heads either. You see, throughout the Bible, fire and wind are images of the power and presence of God. It happens at the burning bush in Exodus 3, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, even the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19. So the signs of wind and fire confirm that these are the, this is the very presence of God in the room with them. And then they speak in tongues. I mean, what's that all about? Uh, for the last... 120 years, this phenomenon has caused confusion amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. In the book of Acts, speaking in tongues is this outward sign of salvation to a new people group. I'll explain what I mean. You see, we see speaking in tongues two other times in the book of Acts. We see it in Acts chapter 10 when Peter shares the gospel with the Gentiles and they trust in Jesus. They receive the Spirit and they speak in tongues. And also in Acts 19, when a new people group hears the gospel for the first time as Paul preaches, they trust in the risen Lord Jesus and they speak in tongues. And so tongues is an outward sign of an inward reality, that a new people group has heard the gospel, that they've turned to Jesus and now part of God's kingdom. Remember Jesus' commission in Acts 1.8, that, the gospel, that they were to be their witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Speaking in tongues is the confirmation that those people have heard the gospel, turned, and are saved. So what's interesting in Acts is that when people trust in Jesus, everyone receives the Spirit, but not everyone speaks in tongues. And it happens directly after their conversion, not at a later date. It's definitely not a second blessing. Therefore, we, I think we need to say two things. That first, 
This is not the speaking in tongues that we read about in 1 Corinthians. This is something different. You can ask me that more about that in question time. Uh, and second, here, the speaking in tongues is an outward sign. It's a language that can be understood. We're going to look at that in a second. Which means that at Pentecost, the wind, the fire, the speaking in tongues, it's all about Jesus that there is now a new way to relate to God and those who trust in Jesus are truly saved. You see, Luke wants us to see the signs but not focus on them. Don't focus on the signs and miss the reality. Uh, about 10 years ago, a friend of mine, uh, Mitch and his girlfriend, posted this um, picture on their Facebook page. Now, when their family saw this photo, they thought, great, our kids are in Las Vegas and they're having a great time. But everyone knows when two people are dating, go to Las Vegas and post this photo, one thing is going to happen. They're going to get married by Elvis. So here is Mitch and Tara and the king and getting married. Uh, the, the only thing less concerning about this event was the firestorm on Facebook that happened straight after it, right? Uh, here's a word of warning. Don't elope to Las Vegas. It doesn't end well. But here's my point. When the family saw the sign, they missed what it was pointing to. So friends, don't do that with Pentecost. This once and unrepeated event isn't about speaking in tongues today or how spiritual we may be today or what experience we may have today, it shows us that through Jesus there is a new way to relate to God. See, in the Old Testament, God could only dwell corporately among his people in the temple. He couldn't dwell individually in their people because of their sin and his judgment had not been dealt with. But on the cross, Jesus dies in our place and pays for our sin. He receives the judgment of God, which means salvation doesn't rest on our shoulders, but on Jesus' death on the cross alone. It means that we don't need to go to the temple to worship God. We go to Jesus Christ. We don't look to temple sacrifices. We look to the once and for all time sacrifice of Jesus we don't need to go to the temple to encounter the presence of God because God has poured out his spirit on all who believe so that they may worship God. Which, just as a side note, means that Jesus is present with us tonight. Did you think about that? Like when you're coming to church tonight, did you think that you would be in the presence of Jesus I'm not speaking about me, <laughs> that God, as he dwells with, as Jesus, as he dwells with his people by his spirit and unites them in Christ, that God's presence is with us even tonight. You see, all who trust in Jesus are given the spirit, not through the acts that we do, but the grace that he has given us so that we may have full and complete access to God anywhere in the world, which is important if Jesus is going to fulfill his mission. If the gospel is going to the ends of the earth, it means that people at the ends of the earth, people as far away as orange, need to still be able to worship God in spirit and truth where they are. The spirit is also a guarantee, a seal of our salvation, 
so that God would never leave us or forsake us. And we have this complete and full access to God the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. I'll say that again. We have full access to God the Father through the Son and by the Spirit, which means the gospel message can now be preached to the nations. Uh, So what does this all mean? How does Peter explain this event? Let's have a look at the explanation. You see, when people hear the speaking in tongues, that is, when they hear the language, when they hear the magnificent acts declared in their own languages, um, they kind of gather around and Peter explains what's happening. What do they think? Well, the crowd thinks that they're drunk. And Peter says, no, no one goes to Canopolis at 9am in the morning, right? They're not drunk. Have a look at verse 16 at what he says. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. So Peter, filled with the spirit, quotes Joel 2 to explain this event in the fulfillment of an Old Testament promise. God said through the prophet Joel that he would pour out his spirit on all people. Up until this point in history, the Holy Spirit was only given to particular people at particular times for particular tasks. There were prophets, priests and kings who got the spirit. Even the tradies who built the temple, they were specific people who got the spirit as well. But now the Holy Spirit is poured out on all people without distinction. So sons and daughters get the Spirit. Young and old get the Spirit. Yes, the upper class will get the Spirit. And even verse 18, the slaves, the lowest in society, they too will be given the Spirit of God. And what does the Holy Spirit empower them to do? To prophesy, which is really interesting, isn't it? That is... They are given the Spirit to declare the magnificent acts of God. If Old Testament prophecy is looking forward with the promises of God, then New Testament prophecy must be looking back and seeing how those promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's what we see the disciples doing. Come back with me to verse 9 again. Come back to verse 9. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, all who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own language. Remember, it's Pentecost and devout Jew, Jewish men from all around the Roman Empire, all around the known world have come into Jerusalem to worship God, and they hear the magnificent acts in their own language. See, even in this moment, this Joel 2 prophecy is being fulfilled. That's because the chief role of the Spirit is to glorify the Son and the Father. So we would see them for who they truly are. And so God equips the disciples to carry out his mission. 
God equips the disciples to declare the saving gospel message that Jesus, who died and has risen, is now king, ruling all heaven and earth. I mean, consider our link missionaries, yeah? The overhauls in South America, the Reeves in Albania, um, uh, the Georgias who are looking to go to Portugal, they spend two to three years doing intense language training. Uh, and after that, they still feel like they're just learning to get a grip of the language. Uh, my sister-in-law is serving over in Poland at the moment as a missionary. She's been in, over there for almost a year. And she says one of the most terrifying things to do is to go to the pharmacy and ask for Panadol. Because she has to think through all the different ways she could ask for Panadol in Polish, and it just kind of shows that how inept she is at the moment, how unequipped she feels to share the gospel in Poland. But God, uh, but Jesus equips his disciples here in this moment, in a very special once-off moment, to take the, uh, so that the magnificent works of God may be heard. I mean... Think about all these people, all these people, Robert from Rome, Peter from Pontius, Marty from Mesopotamia. When they go home, they will take the gospel message with them to share with the people they know. Because as God has equipped the disciples by his spirit to share the gospel message, he will equip those people to share the gospel message as well. The other thing is that this um, Pentecost actually also teaches us the age in which we live in. Have a look at verse 19. Peter continues and he says, I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great day that the glorious, the, the great and the glorious day of the Lord comes, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Joel 2, God also promises a great and glorious day. The sun will go dark. The moon will turn to blood. There will be an event of cosmic significance. That is, God will judge his enemies and he will save his people. Who is the Lord in this moment? Who is the Lord who comes to judge? Uh, well, if you've got your Bibles there, have a look a little bit further in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at this more next week. But if you are, you probably need to flip over the page and it's at the top of um, the next page in the left-hand column. Chapter 2, verse 36. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Peter says this, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. We saw this last week. That is Jesus uh, ascended to the heaven, he was his coronation, and he was crowned in glory to rule all of heaven and earth, and he will come again. Which means Joel chapter 2, the great and glorious day where the Lord returns to judge, is speaking about the risen Lord Jesus. But did you notice in that Joel 2 prophecy that there is a day before the day of the Lord? There is a day where pouring out the Spirit is not a sign of judgment, but a day, verse 21, when everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
You see, the risen Lord Jesus pours out his spirit and ushers in a new age, the age of the spirit, where everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That you can have confidence that you are saved from God's judgment because of what Jesus has done. And so in this kind of, we're going to have a look at the rest of the, the, the sermon uh, that Peter gives next week. But just in this first half, we get this beautiful snapshot of what it will look like for Jesus to fulfill his mission on earth through the disciples. That is, uh, he gives his spirit so that we have a, so that they have a new way to relate to God, regardless of their location, their place, their nationality, or their language. And he also equips them to take that message to people so that people from different languages and tribes and tongues will hear about Jesus and put their faith in him so that all may trust in the Lord Jesus, so that all may turn and be saved. So what does this mean for us? If pouring out the Spirit means that we can relate to God in a new way, to the Father, through the Son and by the Spirit and the Spirit equips the disciples to preach the message, it means that, the Holy, that Jesus, by his Spirit, equips us to continue this work today. Just as Jesus overcame barriers for the disciples, it means that God, by the, Jesus, by the power of his Spirit, will overcome barriers for his mission being fulfilled today. It's like I said at the beginning, our culture teaches us that barriers to what we want to achieve are external to us. They have to do with our family or our work or, or uh, the experiences that we may have. But Christianity teaches us that uh, the challenges, sorry, the barriers that we face are internal, that it's our heart. The barriers for us taking the gospel to the ends of the earth well, that actually has to do with me and how I feel about Jesus and how I feel about sharing his mission. You see, our church has a mission. We have a vision to take the gospel to Orange and beyond. As the church at 6.30 Minister, it's been my prayer recently that we would fill this room on a Sunday night, that in the next five years we would have 200 people Adults and teenagers together meeting and worshipping God here in this building. Now, because of our somewhat transitional nature of Church at 6.30, I think we need to be continually reminded about what Jesus is doing by his Spirit today. That just as Jesus tore down the barriers for these disciples, the barriers of language and, 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 and their fear, that he would continue to do that for us. But how do we do that? I mean, you can't get up and say to a Christian, um, are you telling people about Jesus, have you got the Spirit? No, because everyone who believes in Jesus has the Spirit. So then how do we trust God more that the work of his Spirit will bring about his good purposes on earth. Um, I thought I'd leave you with Ephesians chapter 1. Sorry, that's chapter 1, not chapter 2. Chapter 1, 17 to 19. 
This is what Paul prays for the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty works of his strength. See, Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians as people, men and women, who already confess Jesus as Lord and already have the Spirit. So his prayer is not that they would receive the Spirit, but that God would grow them by the power of his Spirit. Verse 17, that the Spirit would grow their knowledge of him. Verse 18, that the Spirit would enlighten their heart and grow their hope. Verse 19, that the Spirit would grow the greatness of God in their picture of Jesus. It's this beautiful prayer that the, by the spiritual, that by the power of the Spirit, God would grow them spiritually from the inside out. And I think this is the prayer that we need to be praying at church at 6.30 as we take the gospel to our friends, to our work colleagues and into our families. Praying uh, because it's God by his spirit as he answers this prayer who will break down the barriers in our own hearts, who will break down those barriers of fear, that will break down those barriers of feeling like we need to look a certain way and be respected for a certain thing. To break down the barriers of our heart where we care more about what people think of us than what God thinks of them. So that we would be empowered and emboldened to trust him more and share his saving message with others. So that God may grow us to keep relating to him in this new way by his spirit and through his son, so that he would equip us with his saving message so that we may continue to share his good news to the ends of the earth. How about I pray that he would do that in us? Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for your son Jesus and his saving work on the cross. We thank you that you have poured out your spirit on all believers. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would grow us spiritually by your Spirit, that you would grow our knowledge of you, that you would grow our hope in you, that you would enlarge our picture of your Son, Jesus, that you would embolden us and equip us to share your saving message in Orange and beyond. Not so that we may grow a bigger kingdom here, but so that you may continue to grow your kingdom on earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.